We were young until we weren't, but the books stay the same. but the new World of Warcraft expansion came out at 6 p.m. So I wanted to have everything done by 6 p.m. Mm. so that I could play WoW. <laughs> you want to know a funny thing is that since I've started reading these books, I've been inspired to revisit the Lord of the Rings games that I own just because I, ah. I, I needed more Lord of the Rings in my life. So I, I popped back in Shadow of War. In the fires of Mount Doom, a ranger and a wraith bound together in death crafted the one thing that could challenge Sauron, a ring of power. It absolutely bastardizes the lore <laughs> of Lord of the Rings. Like, for example, it's revealed that Celebrimbor is the one who made the Ring of Power, which is, in, in terms of lore of the, of the books, is just baffling. It makes no sense at yeah, all. Yeah, that's weird. But it's basically just fan fiction. It scratches it's just that nice itch. to say. Yeah. Right, like stay somewhat immersed in the world, right. even if it's a weird version of the world. Speaking of that, I not to to make these episodes uh, uh, about this encyclopedia, <laughs> but since the last episode, I've done more research on this okay. guy, David Day, and apparently he has, shall we say, a bit of reputation. Ooh. And a very bad reputation. Oh, no. There are a lot of complaints about how he's produced, I don't know, 10, 15 books, similar books like this encyclopedia, but they are heavily criticized because, A, oftentimes they're just repackaged versions of things he's already written. So it's just a... Mm. Um, money grab. Money grab. And B, he kind of plays fast and loose with the lore. Huh. He um, posits his own bits of information regarding certain lore that is not necessarily supported by any textual evidence within anything Tolkien wrote. Hmm. I also think that people are... Uh, like, I get the, the need for accuracy, especially if you're going to produce something that's called an encyclopedia, which posits to be the definitive roundup of all right. information tolkien lord of the rings middle earth and otherwise but i do also think that people we can talk about toxic fandoms <laughs> that do a lot of gatekeeping and are so overly obsessed with accuracy that they kind of defeat the spirits of this fantasy world like this it's still a fun resource just to read through and to it's almost better to treat it as an analysis where it's just this guy being like oh and this kind of reminds me of this interesting thing and if you take it that way then it's fine yeah i mean i guess i to take sort of the other side sure <laughs> um certainly fandoms do go too far a decent amount of the time i say when the supernatural 
finale just aired and the fandom went insane. So I just watched a whole bunch of people be really crazy. Yeah. But I do think like, especially with something that is labeled like an encyclopedia, Mm -hmm. you can be somewhat critical about like how that's handled and, you know, being accurate about what you're marketing it as versus like what it isn't. I'm sure the encyclopedia is excellent in very many ways. But, you know, we've already, for instance, noted the lack of anything on Tom Bombadil. Yes, right. It seems like maybe some of the criticism is deserved in terms of it not really living up to what it proclaims itself to be. You pretend not to be what you are, not to do what you do. And this is most evil of all. Maybe if he had, like, labeled it differently and, like, gone less for, like, encyclopedia and more for, like, I I don't know what you would call it. But something that more clearly was, like, ah, yes, I'm analyzing this within, like, both giving you information about the actual material, but also, you know, these other things. Then people might be less, like, rawr! Oh, no, the... The criticism is well warranted. Uh, there is some debate to what degree this is the publisher stepping in and doing these kind of unsavory tactics to essentially trick people. What it, It's a very pretty book. <laughs> it's got beautiful illustrations inside. It's very well made. And you can kind of see the marketing strategy behind it that this <clears throat> is meant to trick People walking through a bookshop, they see the title, they think, ooh, that's something I know my kid's going to like, or my adult nerd friend. (laughs) This is not a criticism aimed at my friend. Not at all, because I still love this book. I still think it's very, very valuable. I just think that people who are listening to our podcast should just be mindful of the fact that there is this history with this particular person and a lot of criticism that from my research is very well deserved. So consider before you buy. Yes, I think that in many ways, this, I don't know what is, how to put it, like series, section, <laughs> group of our podcast is also somewhat devoted to the exploration of your encyclopedia. So I, I think that we should, we should note these new findings you've come across. I, I can't wait for what else I discover for the next episode. But indeed. <laughs> well, it's like the prologue to every episode, too. Here's this weird bit of trivia that is not relevant at all to what we're going to be talking about. But we we keep on insisting starting these episodes this way. And we can't we can't help ourselves. This is just who we are as people. You know this about us. So sorry, I mean, not sorry, I guess. To be fair, people might have joined in just for the Lord of the Rings. So, well, if they joined it, well, OK. I'm not going to criticize our listeners. (laughs) We should probably like introduce the episode. Is it my turn or your turn? I can't remember. Uh, It's your turn. Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, (laughs) Welcome to Reread, the podcast where we reread the books from our childhood and see if they hold up to the light of our adulthoods. On this episode, to continue our Lord of the Rings saga, we are now talking about the two towers which fun fact the well i guess it's not a fun fact i take no that part i know exactly what but when fact they, you're about to say and it's not fun they, when they were adapting this book into the movies they 
Peter Jackson and company seriously considered changing the name of the movie from The Two Towers because the movie was coming out soon. I think it was the year following. that It, it was the year following. It came out after the 9-11 attacks. And, you know, The Two Towers has a connotation, but they ultimately decided not to change it, which I think is the right decision. But that's not relevant to anything either. So let's get back on track. Morgan, you shocked the world last episode <laughs> by proclaiming your love for The Fellowship of the Ring. How did you feel about this book? So this is the second of the, the two books that I read as a kid. And I really, when I was rereading this, was like, ah, oh, yes, I remember why <laughs> I quit after this book. <laughs> this book, I think I got lost a lot more easily mm -hmm. just because... We already talked about how, like, Tolkien does a lot of, like, world building throughout the series. I think he kicks it up a notch in this book in many ways. There's less, like, songs telling you stories <laughs> and more, like, just random digressions that, like, take up multiple pages to, like, explain something about the history of something. Mm -hmm. As a kid, I got very lost. I remember having no idea what the hell was going on at home. <laughs> I was like, what, what, where are we? Who are these people? Why do we care? And then I know I found the last bits with Sam and Frodo pretty boring. And I think that while I enjoy The Two Towers far more as an adult than I did as a kid, and I, I liked the book, I still enjoy reading the book. I do think The Two Towers, and, and you know what? I'm going to pause here and say, yes, I know. The Lord of the Rings was written as all one book, and they were arbitrarily, well, not arbitrarily but they were separated out because the publisher is like Tolkien no one is gonna buy this giant fucking book so I understand that Two Towers is not actually meant to be read as a separate book on its own but you know what for the sake of everything I'm just gonna call it the second book and say I think it is not as strong yeah as Fellowship I still good yeah not as strong I actually agree that's impossible and i think the pacing of it is mm. a big issue this book opens with the death of boromir and in terms of a whole i, I mean i guess i don't know how you feel about it but i thought it was such an anticlimactic scene for this character that mm -hmm. we were just effusive in our praise of this character if this book was just part of one book It'd be like, okay, this is just kind of a middling middle chapter of a much longer book. As it is, it serves as the opening for the second book. And even if you, there's just going to be that psychological effect that you are reading the second book in a trilogy. As an opening chapter, it's really, really lame. And I was very, very worried that it was going to spell what was to come with the rest of this book. And to some degree, it does but i also think the book does a pretty good job of recovering but also on the other side we don't actually catch back up with frodo and sam until yeah. more than halfway through i think i mean i think that by far my biggest critique if i have to lob a complaint at this book you know is that separating out because at least in my version of these books, each single book is also comprised of two books within it. So this is like books three and four of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So book three is Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, and then that's interspersed with chapters with Merry and Pippin. And then book four is all Frodo and Sam. 
I think structurally, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What they do in the movies, threading all three plot lines together, is correct and better. It is much better. Separating them out, it makes it feel like book three is very rushed feeling. Mm -hmm. And then book four drags. And if you had put them together, it would have spaced everything out and like made it feel, I think, better pace-wise. I have some arguments about the dragging nature of book four, as we're calling it, which is, to clarify, is Frodo and Sam's story. I think there's more going on there than perhaps meets the eye. But where I do think it creates that dragging feeling is the fact it is so depressing because they're walking through the desolation surrounding Mordor. To Tolkien's credit, he does a very good job of painting the landscape as this desolate, empty, barren place. Perhaps too good of a job. <laughs> yup. You really feel the misery and, and the slog of their journey trying to get to Mordor constantly being met with one obstacle after another, feeling this paranoia of always constantly being surrounded by danger, whether it's Gollum or the Ringwraiths or Orcs or the Haradrim, or at the end when Shelob appears, which, spoiler alert, Shelob appears in this book, not in Return of the King, which is where she appears in the movies. Wait. What? What? Am I misremembering where things happen in the movies? You are. Dude, you just got burned. Burned, dude. Burned. Shelop is referenced in the two towers of the movies. Oh, yes, yes, yes. But she doesn't okay. actually appear until the third movie. I remember now exactly where the movie ends. Okay, I got it. I'm with you again. <laughs> Sorry. A lot of times we just do like a day-long marathon of the movies, so if they truly... Mush, but I, yes, we're back together. Morgan, I I love those movies. I think you're crazy for doing day-long marathons of all three movies. <laughs> Extended editions. <laughs> Woo! Obviously, you can't do anything. Okay, we can't. Let's get on track. Uh, I guess before we get into our summary, just to summarize my own recollections of, of this book, I remember being... Not let down, but just being like very meh about the Battle of Helm's Deep as a kid. Mm. I really feel like Tolkien's heart is not, it doesn't feel like he's really that interested in them. He's just kind (laughs) of, he writes them, but he doesn't actually really care for them. But before we continue on our more ranting about this and that, (laughs) let us get into the summary. Why don't we? (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. As you said, we start off with Boromir died. <laughs> At the end of Fellowship, of course, Frodo and Sam took off. The rest of the Fellowship doesn't know this. Um, they're running around looking for Frodo, and they're attacked by orcs. Merry and Pippin are taken. Boromir's killed. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli are like, what do we do? Just give me some kind of sign, Eventually, they decide that... Since they're pretty sure Frodo and Sam took off on their own, that they're going to take care of Boromir's body and then go find Merry and Pippin. 
So they cast Boromir off in a boat and they head off after Merry and Pippin. And they're like running. They do not have horses. <laughs> they are on foot chasing this band of orcs. And there's a some nice realism in that, like, at one point, Aragorn's like, we have to sleep because it's dark and, like, we might miss some tracks if we go now. Legolas is like, if we do that, they're going to get too far ahead. Sure enough, that's the case. So a lot of the time, they don't actually think they're going to be able to catch up. They're just, like, hoping that they'll be able to to find out something. Yeah, and there's there's a nice dynamic here, too, between the three characters where Legolas... Of course, as an elf, he basically doesn't need to sleep. He's always the one saying, we need to keep going. And then Gimli's like, is offering the suggestion that they should wait because they're tired and they might miss clues. And then Aragorn serves as the leader who ultimately makes the decisions. And, and I think it, it plays pretty well. They're, they're a good little trio. Eventually, they are, uh, they come across the Riders of Rohan and... The writers are led by <sighs> Aomer. Aomer. I have seen the movie so many times. Can I ever pronounce his name? <laughs> no. <laughs> so Aomer, Aomer, something like that. The pronunciation in the movie is Aomer. I'm sure there's some Tolkien scholar out there who's tut-tutting right now, being like, oh, you fool, don't you know, in the Anglo-Saxon, you pronounce the O as an R. Yeah, but we're going to ignore them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyhow, he's leading them. They have some Ooh. little feisty conversation. Oh, the sass is, is great. Yeah, to start things off. But eventually, they come to an accord, and he tells them that even though he should technically take them back to the King of Rohan, he's going to let them go as long as they promise that once they find Merry and Pippin, they go see the king. And he's like, we killed a whole bunch of orcs, like, last night or something. And there weren't any, like, half people there or, like, anything but orcs. So your friends are probably dead, but you can still go see if you want. Just, you have to come see the king afterwards. Our trio is pretty convinced Merry and Pippin are dead at this point, but still they travel to the site of the orc massacre. And I believe it's at this point that we switch over to Merry and Pippin and hear about what happened to them during this time, uh, which is a lot of them being carried by orcs and orc infighting because there seem to be different factions of orcs. There's like Saruman's orcs and then there's like orcs from the south and also orcs from the north. There's a lot of arguing over what they should be doing, whether people can... <laughs> Eat hobbits or other things. <laughs> what about their legs? They don't need those. There's just lots of uh, orca bickering. Just to interrupt very quickly, I do want to put a pin in this because I think the dynamics that play between the villains of this story, this is the, you know, we kind of get references to Sauron and Saruman in the Fellowship, mm -hmm. but I think this is our real first extended look into these characters as villains and sort of the dynamics at play between them and what they're actually doing. And it's a lot more complex than you might think. So mm. we'll discuss right. later. <laughs> Pinned. Pippin does use, have an opportunity to saw open the ropes holding his wrists. And he also later is able to drop his Lothorian brooch to hopefully 
signal to anyone who might be following them, like, they're still alive or being taken or whatever. Um, so we get to see Pippin actually be very resourceful, which is nice for him because sometimes he can be not so <laughs> resourceful. <laughs> As we'll come to very soon in the summary. But once they get to the forest, and, or I should say that the orc massacre that happens happened by the thing. Thank oh God. I can't speak right now, Casey. I just truly am like, <sighs> the forest of Fangorn. Yes, thank you. I get, kept welcome. trying to say Fangorn, and then it kept, like, I could feel it was going to be Fanghorn, and I was like, <laughs> that's not. <sighs> <laughs> oh, this is perfect for a podcast for you to be. Unable to speak, yes. This is great. Anyhow, <laughs> by this forest, which, by the way, our heroes and stuff were warned about in Fellowship, that is this creepy bad place. Yeah, don't go there. When the orcs camp out by there, like some of the infighting has already led to orcs being killed, other orcs running off, and they can see the riders of Rohan are after them. So it's a very contentious time for the orcs. And uh, honestly, I'm not entirely sure what exactly their full plan is, if they have one, (laughs) because they are being written down by the riders of Rohan. (laughs) But during the tumult of everything, Merry and Pippin are able to get away and because Mary's hands are untied and he's been basically faking having tied hands the entire time, he's able Pippin, to free them. Or sorry, Pippin, yes. And <laughs> there's this really funny moment where like after he's freed them, they are so exhausted and famished that they're like, we literally can't move and we must eat before we go. <laughs> so they just sit there <laughs> and oh. eat lettuce bread. <laughs> Oh my god, Legolas has possibly the greatest line in this entire book when <laughs> Aragorn and company find the spots and they're investigating and they figure out, oh, the hobbits got away. Legolas then says, but how and why? For if his legs were tied, how did he walk? And if his arms were tied, how did he use the knife? And if neither were tied, why did he cut the cords at all? Being pleased with his skill, he then sat down and quietly <laughs> ate some whey bread. That at least is enough to show that he was a hobbit. Oh, uh, uh, the sass is just yeah through the roof in this book. I love it so much. But it is a very funny moment, and it feels so true to the to them as oh, characters. Yeah. It's it's delightful. But once they've uh, fed themselves, uh, Merry and Pippin uh, run off into the forest and. Let's just say if they were give some bad vibes. <laughs> it's not like the best feeling place in the world. So continuing Tolkien's trend of just bad force. Eventually they um they're like trying to figure out where they are, figure out what to do, when all of a sudden <laughs> they're approached by a being that they really <laughs> have never seen anything like before. Introduces himself with many names, but one of which is Treebeard, and um, I'll just skip all the wondering. He's an Ent. Treeherder, a shepherd of the forest. There's a little back and forth because he's like, "What are you?" And they're like, "We're hobbits." And he's like, "You're not in the song," because apparently the Ents have a song that lists like every single living thing, and hobbits uh-huh. have not made this list. <laughs> Pausing here briefly to just comment. The Shire is, like, admittedly a ways, but, like, not super far. Like, I'm not sure why no one has heard about hobbits. 
Theoden later says that, like, his people do have legends of, like, halfling people. Yeah. But, like, I'm just confused why no one knows that hobbits exist. I guess... Because it's not so far that they shouldn't know that. Like... Uh Uh-huh. Sam knows about elephants. And elephants come from, like, way farther. I guess the argument one can make is one... The people of the Shire have prized themselves for remaining isolated and having nothing to do with the outside world. They actually have watchers along the border of the Shire to basically discourage visitors. And so theoretically, it could just be that there are very limited interactions with hobbits. That's kind of undercut by the facts of the existence of Bree, where it seems hobbits and men commingle pretty often uh, I, I don't know well, i guess it's it's it's, it's like, enough that go ahead i was gonna say like they still have it seems like the elves of lothorian don't like go out much and not very mm-hmm. many people come in and yet there's still very common knowledge that the elves are living in lothorian yeah not to mention bilbo did go on a pretty epic adventure it feels like more people should have at least heard about that uh yeah i mean i guess but it, i can also see because it's been like what, 50, 60 some years since Bilbo went on his adventure, where since Bilbo relatively plays a small part in that whole quest, where he could effectively be erased, mm. right, from the history of that quest. And I could totally see the dwarves just sort of, as they're telling their own story, emphasizing more of their own role. And as like the men of Dale are telling their own version of the story, emphasizing their role. I mean, yes, I I hear what you're saying. It doesn't quite make sense that they wouldn't know about the hobbits, but I I think the bigger point is to emphasize just how minimal <laughs> the hobbits have played a, a role in the history of Middle-earth that nobody really cares about them. I guess the key difference between Lothlorien and the Shire is that the men consider Lothlorien to be very dangerous. And so it Mm. makes sense that they would tell stories about that. Nothing's happening in the Shire unless uh, the the biggest risk you face is like secondhand smoke from all the the smoke rings they're blowing. Your love of the halfling's leaf has clearly slowed your mind. I was going to say, Saruman does have like hobbit weed. Well, yes, yes, which is a bit of foreshadowing for what's to come. But anyway. Yeah, sorry, we've like fully <laughs> derailed. But anyhow. <laughs> so the point is that Treebeard is like, what are you? Um, and is very confused about their existence. But since they're not orcs and they aren't like burning or chopping down any trees, he's pretty chill with them. And eventually ends up kind of taking them under his wing. Or under his branch. Under his branch, yes, as it were. <laughs> And based on the conversations that they have and what they tell him and what he himself has seen, he makes the decision to call for a gathering of the Ents to discuss what to do, if anything, about Saruman. So, Merry and Pippin are happily traveling with him. Uh, I don't remember exactly where it switches over, if it's before the Ent meet or after. The the Ent moot. Let's get our terms correct Sorry. But it's... (laughs) We're already pissing off enough big Tolkien fans with my middling response to David Day. Let's let's not alienate them any further, Morgan. 
Look, Casey, I almost called this forest <laughs> Fanghorn, even knowing that wasn't the correct name of the forest. But my tongue is not my friend today. Well, indeed. Well, to answer your question, yes, it's around. They have the Entmoots. They come to the decision that they're going to march on Isengard. And then that's when it switches back to Aragorn and company, who who are now left with this decision of going into the forest to pursue the hobbits. Which, like, they're <laughs> become even more wary about doing when they see a figure they believe to be Saruman uh, that evening and their horses run off. <laughs> but uh, especially because they're horses, they're like, well, might as well. <laughs> Go on in. It's not like we can do anything else. <laughs> so they go in and manage to come to pretty much the exact spot where Merry and Pippin meet Treebeard. When suddenly they see a figure they again believe to be Saruman. They're like, fuck! Yeah, and Gimli's really on the warpath here. He's like, we're gonna have to kill this guy now. And he's, and he's urging Legolas to snipe him from afar. But for some reason, when Legolas... What knocks his bow? What what is the term for that? There's a term for it. He pulls his bow back in, and he's like, "I can't do it." And they're like, "Well, why not?" And he's, "I just uh, I can't." And there's some mystical force that seems to be impeding their wills at this moment. Yes, Aragorn's sword grows too hot in his hands, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They exchange some words, and guess what? Turns out, it's not Saruman. It's Gandalf! What? We all thought was dead. Whoa. Hooray. Big wow! And he had a Beowulf-level epic battle with the Balrog, like... Oh, yeah. Where they went down into the water, and then they climbed up to a peak, and then the amount of ground traveled during this battle <laughs> is truly incredible. Like, how did they do both things at once? We'll never know. It's incredibly metal. Yes. But eventually, he did smite the Balrog. Upon the mountainside. And then, like, was ready to peace out of life when it was like, nope, you still got work to do. Yeah, God, the god of this world, Eru, was like, no, no, no. You're going back. (laughs) (laughs) Sucks for you, bruh. (laughs) But he comes back as Gandalf the White. So now he is head wizard honcho. And he's like, well, Mary and Pippin are actually fine. They're just with, you know, tree people. And <laughs> we have some other things we need to do. So let's get our get our butts out of this forest and go to Rohan. They're like, how can we do that? We have no horses. And he's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I have a horse. Shadow facts. <laughs> That's a direct quote. Ha 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 ha. You know how I talked about how like the Hobbit and Fellowship are just like nonstop pony violence? Yes. <laughs> this book is horse porn. <laughs> <laughs> like the amount of time spent discussing how <laughs> excellent a horse Shadowfax is. Oh yeah. Is incredible. So many pages devoted to how awesome this horse is. Shadowfax is one sexy horse. Pretty much so sexy, in fact, 
that, you know, with the horses running away the other night from our trio? It's because they sensed shadow facts. And we're like, shadow facts? (laughs) (laughs) There is definitely off screen a horse orgy that took place. Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so Gandalf summons shadow facts and with shadow facts come the other two horses. And they're all able to ride to Rohan Central (laughs) and meet with the king as they promised they would. We already kind of know that this might not go smoothly because it has been mentioned numerous times that Theoden, the king, is pissed mm-hmm. at Gandalf because Gandalf <laughs> took Shadowfax, yes. the hottest of all horses. So, More seriously, we're also told that something is afoot in Rohan. Things have, have taken a darker turn. And it's not clear what exactly is going on. People aren't sure if Rohan is in league with the enemy or if it's still an ally. There's There are some concerns there as well. Right. And I think one of those got addressed when they met with the writers of Rohan, where one of our trio was like, hey, have you guys been like giving horses to Border? And Aomer was like, no, they stole our f***ing horses, those assholes. <laughs> So our sexy, sexy horses. <laughs> they just lost their horses, man. Yeah. So we do know that like some of the rumors aren't true, but yes, there's definitely been that vibe of like something's going on with Rohan. Indeed. So they show up and they're like, hello, these are our names. They're the most epic of names because we are very <laughs> epic people. And we would like to see Theoden now. And uh, the guards are like, those are very epic names, but like, you just don't really want to see people, and they're like, "We will see him." And they're like, "Okay, fine, you can see him, but no weapons. We're taking all your weapons." And there's this minor kerfuffle over like, "Oh my Erwin god!" does not want to give up his sword, which like, fair. It's a pretty goddamn important sword, and I'm pretty sure without it, like, he can't prove his claim to the throne. If anything goes wrong with that sword, it's a problem. But eventually, he's like, "Fine." You better take really good care of this sword, or bad is going to go down. I think he says anyone who wields it other than me will die. Yeah. (laughs) Very serious about this sword. But Gandalf, although he gives up his own sword, is like, you will not deny an old man his staff, will you? I need it for the walking. (laughs) And they're like, suspicious. But... My heart tells me to trust you, so I guess we'll let you keep it. And so when they go into the hall, Theoden is not the happiest to see them. Especially Gandalf, who's like, Storm Crow, says a bunch of, like, nasty things, too. Um, and he's uh, assisted in this endeavor of saying bad shit by uh, his advisor, Wormtongue. Grima Wormtongue, yeah. Which, like... I'm sure the answer to this is somewhere. I don't know if Wormtongue is his actual given name or a name other people have given him. Uh. If it's his given name, that's a little suspicious. If it was given to him, really, how did he worm his way in anywhere? Because <laughs> that's a pretty suspicious name. I am pretty sure his actual last name is not Wormtongue. I, I think that was just a nickname attributed to him because he is in fact a very wormy guy yes 
<laughs> but Gandalf, with his magic staff, is able to bring Theoden to the light, shall we say. And make him realize that, like, his mind has been poisoned. Maybe he should not be such an asshole anymore. And this works. Hooray! Theoden's like, actually, I do like you, Gandalf. <laughs> and they kick, kick Wormtum out, and he's like, Gandalf, what should I do? And Gandalf's like, I'm pretty sure you're going to get attacked. Let's go to Helm's Deep. Theoden's like, chill, let's do it. And I'm going to leave my very awesome and hot niece Eowyn to take care of things. <laughs> and we should mention that Aragorn and Eowyn vibe at each other a decent amount in the, like, the three times she's on screen. Yes, they have a moment. I, I don't know if we will... Uh... Oh, I want to talk about women, so we'll be talking about Okay, then, then I'll save it for that. Pin in that. <laughs> yes. So they ride off to Helm's Deep. On the way there, they see that, you know, there's already been some stuff going on. There was, like, this big fight somewhere else, and now some warriors are missing. It's a whole thing. Um, but they make it to Helm's Deep. Oh, I should mention that Aomer and the Riders of Rohan are with them. Yes, yeah. We should also mention before this that Gandalf is suddenly senses something's up and ah. he's like, all right, got a peace out. Just keep going to Helm's Deep. Things are going to be okay. He's like, I'll be back, but got other things to do with my time. And they're like, okay. That's suspicious. That's weird. <laughs> so yeah, they set up at Helm's Deep. Uh, Gimli is, is uh, having a good time there. Yeah, he's liking the caves. Yeah. <laughs> They're attacked by orcs, and there's a big battle. Uh, it kind of seems like it might be hopeless. Like, there's multiple ways the, like, orcs are trying to get in, and they have to fend them off, and I am not going to go into detail on the battle, because, as you mentioned, even Tolkien seems kind of uninterested in the battle, so yeah. why should we be? I mean, in the movie, it's the battle itself ha it takes, like, 30 minutes of runtime, I think, at least. In this book, it is only 20 pages long. It is over before it's even really started, it feels like. Anyway. Yeah. And uh, just when it looks like, hey, they might all die, Gandalf shows back up with those Rohan warriors that were missing. And they basically do a, like, pincher maneuver and, like, squish the orcs between them. Um, and then also some of the orcs run off into the woods and the woods eats them. To be clear, the woods appeared magically. Like, they were sent there by the Ents, specifically to murder some orcs. Yes. But yeah, so Helm's Deep is over. It's all good. It's fine. Gandalf's like, so, I have to go to Isengard now, if you'd like to come with me. And they're like, why are we going to Isengard? We don't have enough forces to attack Isengard. And Gandalf's like, what? I'm going there, if you would like to come with me. He's playing very coy. The most coy. Like, he knows exactly what has happened at Isengard. He has been there. But yet, he's like, mm, we just have to go. Let's just, it'll be time. <laughs> Which, like, really, why does anyone, like, put up with this <laughs> If I was Theoden, I'd be like, give it to me straight, Gandalf. Mm. But they head over to Isengard. They talk about... The freaking moving woods and stuff on the way. I, I will say there is a like very cute exchange on the way where Gimli's oh, like, Oh, yes. The caves! The caves! Legolas, <laughs> the caves! They're so beautiful. Yeah. Legolas is like, I'm glad you had a nice time, buddy. Like, I don't really care, but glad you enjoyed. Yeah. But, but then but then Legolas. He's like, Fanghorn! <laughs> Fanghorn! <laughs> the trees! 
<laughs> the forest. <laughs> oh, it's so adorable. They agree if they survive this whole quest, they will go visit the forest of Fangorn and the caves of Helm's Deep together. It's really, really cute. It's sort of like the equivalent of like something for him, something for her, but yeah. like obviously like <laughs> uh yeah. True love is in the air. <laughs> but yeah, so they get to Isengard and who is sitting there at the ruined gates but our good friends Mary and Pippin. Smoking some weed. Pippin's actually passed out. Like <laughs> Mary gets up to greet them. Pippin is passed the fuck out. Yeah. And it's pretty cute because Mary at first pretends like he doesn't see, like, his buds. He's like, welcome, Thaddeus, and is, like, you know, trying to act all kind of official. It's, it's, it is a very adorable moment. He also, it's pretty funny because at some point he, like, kicks Pippin with his foot to get him up. Yeah. Also beautiful. But <laughs> basically he's like, the Ents have taken over Isengard. Saruman is imprisoned in the tower. Also, Wormtongue's in there. Gandalf and Theoden ride off to do something. And... Uh, the rest of the members of the fellowship that are here get together and exchange stories. And so we get to hear all about the siege of Isengard from Merry and Pippin telling Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. And they get to eat and smoke some weed while they do it. So, you know, it's a party. And there's a lot of very cute, like, teasing and ribbing each other. It's a cute chapter. It's possibly my favorite chapter in the book. Mm. I just liked it. Okay. The friendship. It's beautiful. Yeah. But then once all of that loveliness is over, they have to actually talk to Saruman. And Gandalf's like, beware his voice. And no one, absolutely no one really listens to that because <laughs> as soon as Saruman starts talking, everyone's like, wow, magical enchantment. I shouldn't say everyone because Gimli is like, guys, nah. And we don't get to hear what some of the others think. I think actually Aramur is also like, shut up. <laughs> But his well, voice is very enchanting, and he really tries his best to manipulate them. And I guess also Theoden is the other notable exception who's who's able to resist. Yes. Like, I think it mentions that, like, he feels that a little bit at first, and then he's like, no. Nah. And he powers through, and he's like, we will have peace. We shall have peace when you answer for the burning of the Westfold and the children that lie dead there. We shall have peace when the lives of the soldiers, whose bodies were hewn even as they lay dead against the gates of the Hornburg, are avenged. When you hang from a gibbet for the sport of your own crows, we shall have peace. It's pretty badass. Great speech. It is a great speech. But yeah, so once he stops trying to, like, woo them all over, he and Gandalf uh, exchange some not very nice things, but Gandalf's trying to be like, hey, you have two options. You stay stuck in here, imprisoned, or, like, you come out, give up your staff, and, like, basically work to be a better person. And Saruman's like, no way in hell. I am staying in my stupid tower. And <laughs> does this thing where he, like, tries to leave, and then Gandalf's like, I haven't dismissed you yet. Yeah. Like, the magical forces make it so he can't leave until Gandalf says it's chill. And as, like, a parting shot, Wormtongue, like, lobs something out of, like, a window higher up at their heads. <laughs> uh, he misses everyone. How could you miss? He was three feet in front of you! 
<laughs> but he does make the attempt, and then Pippin scoops it up, and uh, very quickly Gandalf takes it away from him. Uh, and he's like, Saruman probably didn't want him to do that. He probably just kind of threw whatever was on hand. So this could be something very interesting. And he plays, again, very coy about it. And then they leave Isengard and Gandalf's like, hey, Treebeard, we need you to make sure Saruman does not come out of this town. Got it? And Treebeard's like, we will absolutely do that. We will do that so much. So hard. <laughs> for so long. But yeah, so... uh as they're riding away, Pippin's in kind of like an odd place mentally. They like stop for the night and he's talking to Mary and he's like, hey, Mary, Mary, did Gandalf tell you anything about the the, the <laughs> orb? And Mary's like, nah, Gandalf never tells anyone, Jack, like, I don't know what you're expecting, man. Pippin's like, I just really want to see it. Like, I just really want to. I can't sleep. I want to see it. Mary's like, well, tough luck. Yeah. I'll help you in the morning. Well, let's chill for now. But this is Pippin, so he does not chill for now. Uh, when Mary falls asleep, he gets up and sneaks over to sleeping Gandalf and pulls an Indiana Jones switcheroo <laughs> with the orb. He, like, puts a rock in his arms instead, and he sneaks off to look in the orb. And uh, that's not a good thing for him to do. Oh, not He at all. screams. He passes out. <laughs> this, of course, alerts the rest of the camp to what's happened. And Gandalf's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Wakes Pippin back up. <laughs> And uh, is like, what have you done? What did you say? What did you see? And Pippin is very freaked out. But he describes, he just kind of calls it like he and him with like caps, which generally indicates Sauron in this story. Basically was interrogating him a little bit and then asked what he was. And then Pippin said he was a hobbit. And then Sauron like laughs and says to tell Saruman that this is not for him and... Gandalf's like, okay, thank God you didn't say anything else. It looks like we kind of, like, escape by the skin of our teeth. Because, you know, you really could have given up some very bad information. Yeah. We're sort of okay. And in fact, they they lucked out in a lot of ways because the impression is that Sauron actually believes Pippin is still a prisoner of Saruman. And so, in a sense... Pippin has bought themselves time because Sauron's forces are going to have to first go to Isengard to check in on that before they realize the truth of what's happened. Right. And also there's the impression that Sauron believes Pippin has the ring. And that's what he meant with the sort of comment to Saruman is that like, Saruman should not be getting on that ring. Uh, This should be sent right on. Yeah. So the next day, Gandalf... Well, no, wait. Oh, sorry. there is no deck next day. It's literally like right. minutes later. It is that evening, and Nazgul flies overhead, and Gandalf's like, <laughs> and he's like, we gotta go, and we gotta go fast. Let's take off now. I'm taking Pippin on Shadowfax, and I'm gonna go mega fast. Must go faster. <laughs> and the rest of y'all can catch up when you can. Uh-huh. Gandalf takes off with Pippin, and actually answers some of Pippin's questions, which like Pippin is in absolute awe of. Gandalf reveals that they are heading to Minas Tirith in Gondor, and that is the end of book three. And then we we jump right in with Frodo and Sam, only a few days after we saw them at the end of Fellowship. They're climbing around trying to find their way to Mortar, kind of hard. They're in a very cliffy area, so they run into a lot of, like, obstacles they cannot surpass. There's a decent amount of, like, wandering and shenanigans before they are attacked in the night by Gollum. 
and they manage to capture him and make him swear to guide them and not try and eat them or otherwise hurt them. <laughs> Frodo makes him swear on the ring. It's very interesting. Like uh, Sam comments a couple of times during this exchange that like Frodo seems different when he's interacting with Gollum. And he doesn't like fully explain what that difference is, so I think it's very open to your interpretation to some extent. But it's very much shown that there is this sort of like connection between Frodo and Gollum. And after Frodo makes him swear on this, Sam like does notice some changes in Gollum that he starts acting more like. Sam distinguishes between the sides of his personality with uh, Slinker and Stinker. I'm not going to use those names. <laughs> but uh, Gollum does start acting much more Smeagol-esque for a while. And he leads them through the marshes to the Black Gate. And he really doesn't want to do this, I should be clear. He, like, thinks this is a bad idea. But he feels the need to follow Frodo's orders. Once they get there, it's, uh... It's pretty clear they're not getting through the gate. (laughs) And so Gollum admits that there's this other way. And Sam's a little suspicious about this because just the previous night he'd caught Gollum talking to himself uh, and debating essentially whether or not to steal the ring from Frodo. It's interesting because uh, the way the conversation goes, the Gollum part of him is very much like, let's take that ring and then we can make the nasty hobbit supper. And then the Smeagol part's like, well, if we do that, we won't hurt the nice hobbit, though. Like, Smeagol really likes Frodo. Yeah. Even when contemplating taking the ring from him, doesn't necessarily want to hurt him at this point in the story. Oh, it's But a, that it's said, a f- there is... Go ahead. No, you go. Well, I was just going to say, it's a fascinating bit of dialogue, just the sort of mm. wheeling and dealing that Smeagol does with himself. Yeah, trying to argue because uh, the Gollum side makes a very compelling argument that their promise was not to protect Frodo. It was to protect the precious. And so if they take the ring from Frodo, they will essentially be the ring bearer. The promise will then move to themselves. Obviously, there's a lot of logical fallacies taking place, but you can see this sort of sinister quality of what Gollum is trying to argue, of trying to convince and bully Smeagol into taking a certain course of action that is at odds with what Smeagol wants, specifically. Yeah. Anyway. And and towards the end of this, when, like, Smeagol's pretty much been entirely talked into it, there's some mention of, like, taking them the other way to her. Literally, Gollum is going to grab the ring from Frodo's throat when, like, Sam Fane's waking up. So anyhow, the next day, when Gollum all of a sudden suggests this other path, Sam is naturally quite suspicious, (laughs) as one would be. So he's like, I don't know. But, you know, Frodo thinks it through, and he's like, really, like, don't have many options here. So we'll go the other way. But then, in, in a move that really shocks both Gollum and Sam, he's like, hey, you better remember that you swore on the Precious and the Precious is going to try and like twist that. And I can already see that happening with you. So like, you need to be good. You remember, like, I'm watching out for you. Boom, boom. <laughs> it's actually a very savvy little speech by Frodo. And it's, a, it's, it's another one of those interesting moments between Frodo and 
Gollum. So it is somewhat reassuring to see that Frodo kind of <laughs> knows that this is an issue. You know, he's not being naive about it. But still, um, they decide they're going to follow Gollum. So they head out. And as they're traveling towards uh, Gollum's new path, uh, which is by Minas Morgul, they end up stopping and Frodo's like, hey, we need food. Go catch us some rabbits or something, <laughs> Smeagol. Smeagol's like, okay. <laughs> and he does. That same makes him go fetch water. Like, it's a whole, like... Yes. There's a whole digression in which Sam makes rabbits do. But it turns out to have a purpose because Gala specifically like, you should not be making the fire happen. The fire is not a smart move. And sure enough, the smoke trail from their fire ends up alerting some Gondorian rangers. I don't know yeah. what to call them. Yeah, Gondorian rangers. Who come upon them and Gollum has run off somewhere. So it's just Frodo and Sam. Uh, they're not really taken anywhere at first, but they're certainly outnumbered and there's the implication that they cannot leave. So, and the captain of the rangers introduces himself as Faramir and he's like, who are you? What are you doing here? And it quickly comes out that Frodo mentions that, like, they set out with a company and one of those people in the company was Boromir and... Faramir's like, ah, Boromir. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> we know him. <laughs> and really the fact that I guess like Frodo and Sam, like what would they know about the naming conventions of Gondor? But Boromir, Faramir. <laughs> yeah, they don't connect the dots, but the reader will have connected the dots that Faramir is somehow related to Boromir, and indeed we find out that they are brothers. Faramir is Boromir's little bro, but we don't find this out until a ways later. Like, they have a short conversation, and then Faramir's like, we have to go, like, fight? You're going to stay here under guard while we do that. He goes off and fights. There's an oliphant involved. <laughs> Sam's pumped. <laughs> but when Faramir comes back, there's more conversation. And I, I think that, especially for uh, people who have only watched the movies, the way that Faramir interacts with Fred is very interesting. Because there's certainly this element of him kind of prodding at Frodo in a way. He's certainly trying to, trying to tease out some information in this sort of like vaguely antagonistic way. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not fully antagonistic like it feels in the movie. It's just kind of like he's suspicious, as one would be. So he's not giving Frodo all the information he has, and he's trying to get Frodo to give something up. And Sam gets so mad about it that at some point he just like full on, like, <laughs> interrupts and starts yelling at Faramir. He's, it's very yeah, cute. You're suggesting that we're villains in some way, so if your idea is to kill us, then get on with it, you know? Faramir is very, very smart, and, he, and he's very tactical, is the sense that you get in his questioning. Yes, deliberate. Yeah, yeah. He teases out the story of Boromir to see what they know about him and if they're actually being truthful before he actually opens up. So it's kind of like a, a trust but verify system. Mm -hmm. Which he kind of reveals after the second talk while they're taking, they decide to take the hobbits um, back to their hideout, essentially. Mm -hmm. 
And on the way back, he talks with just Frodo, and Sam is there listening, but he reveals that he has an idea of what Frodo may be carrying, or that he's carrying some kind of weapon. Once he realized that, he deliberately steered his questions away from that, so that, like, no one else would overhear it. And he's like, I don't want to know anymore. Um, I can guess some of what happened between you and Boromir, just because I know my brother. Uh, I don't want any part of that. I want zero part of this whole thing. Like, you are very wise not to say anything. I do not want it. We're good. So that very much reveals some of who he is. And it's sort of further revealed when they talk more back at the hideout. And Sam ends up accidentally blurting out exactly what Fredo is carrying. Oh, Sam. And there's this fascinating moment, actually, where, like... Sam understandably gets right freaked out and is like, here's like a moment for you to show your quality and like not <laughs> take the ring from Frodo essentially. And Farmer gets this like very strange smile on his face and spins out. It's like word from word from the movie, but it's it's played very differently in the book. Spins out this kind of like fantasy about like Faramir taking the ring essentially. So this is the answer to all the riddles. Here in the wild, I have you. Two halflings and a host of men at my call. The ring of power within my grasp. Chance for Faramir, Captain of Gondor. And he just kind of laughs it off and he's like, nah, I don't, I don't want that. I already told you I don't want that. Like, nah. Nah, nah, honey, I'm good. But he just full on freaks them out first. <laughs> yeah, it is such a fascinating passage. You know, we basically learned that Farmir essentially is not interested in conquest. In that way, he has no interest in the ring as a weapon to help him conquer. It's, yeah. It's some good stuff. Very different yeah. from the movie. So if you've never read the books, like Farmir, movie Farmir is very, very different than book Farmir. Absolutely. Very, very different. And the next part is played out very differently, too, where he wakes Frodo up in the middle of the night because Gollum's been playing in, like, the forbidden pool thing. And he's like, I, I, what should I do about this, Frodo? Frodo's like, please don't kill him. He really couldn't have known, and he was drawn here by, like, a temptation he could not resist. Faramir's like, ah, the ring. Frodo's like, no, fish. <laughs> <laughs> Literal exchange. Oh, uh, it's great. Faramir's like, okay, I will not kill him, but you gotta get him to come out, and then we're gonna take him prisoner. And so Frodo, feeling very bad about the whole thing, tricks Gollum into coming out and following him. Uh, Gollum very much feels betrayed when he is set upon by forces. But again, they come to an agreement that Varmir's like, okay, so essentially for like a year and a day, you have my full permission, like, and anyone under you, you're safe to roam around. After that point, you would have to like go get the steward of Gondor to like make that official for you to go on, but like you should be fine for your quest. And he's like, you sure you want to take 
this creature under your wing? And Frodo's like, yes. And Faramir's like, so, Gollum, like, where did you say you were taking them? And Gollum's like, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Frodo mentions the very little he knows that it's five minutes more. And Faramir's like, oh, oh, that's bad. I would not go that way. Like, that's bad. There's definitely something up there. Like, hmm. Danger, Will Robinson. Frodo's like, where else would you suggest we go? Farmer's like, I have no clue, but not that way. Frodo's like, I don't have time. I don't have time for you to come up with some other solution, bud. Like, we gotta go, so we're going. Farmer's like, okay, okay, well, you do you, bud. And he sits them off with some walking sticks, essentially. Everyone out of those not shiny daggers. Some, like, very nice Gondor walking sticks, but they're walking sticks like have a good time (laughs) (laughs) that's not what he says but you know yeah it's a very amiable party and so Fred and Sam go on Gollum leads them to Minas Morgul where they're just in time to see the forces ride out of it uh, including the witch lord who is the same black rider that stabbed Frodo in fellowship which like Frodo can feel and it seems like maybe the witch lord can feel him too because there's this moment where he pauses and Frodo feels this strong temptation to put on the ring. But it's interesting because like it's described this time as feeling very much like outside of him. Like he himself has absolutely no desire to put the ring on. He is not actually at all tempted, but he talks about feeling like uh, an outside force is moving his hand towards the ring before, like, basically his mind catches up with what his body is doing and stops it. So it is interesting in that the the temptation to put the ring on that we, we have seen in previous books now actually seems in some ways less mentally there. Frodo's mind is fully separate from the temptation. We can get into this, too. Sorry, I just thought it was an interesting moment. No, no, I think it's super interesting as well. Uh, it's like... The feeling I got was of desperation, like this outside force, we can say it's the ring or whatever, being desperate, which is, I, I, there, there are so many implications for what that could mean, Ed. Ed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when Frodo manages to stop himself from putting the ring on, the forces. Right on. It's like a lot of them. And Frodo's like, oh man, Farmir, hang in there, my bud. Yeah. But they head on up the stairs. <laughs> and like, there's different le- levels of the stairs. So like, there's the straight stair. And they get up and they're like, oh my God, so exhausted. And Gob's like, there's a second stair we got to get up. The winding stair. It's longer. Let's do that. <laughs> and they're like, oh. And once they get up top, they decide to rest for a while and Gollum f***s off God knows where. And Frodo and Sam have a conversation about how they do not trust Gollum, but they really don't have any other options, which makes it very suspicious. Like, when Gollum comes back, actually, this is another cool moment that I'm sure we'll talk about in our Gollum discussion, where, like, both Sam and Frodo have fallen asleep, and Frodo's, like, in Sam's lap, um, because Sam was, like supposed to be standing guard and his whole idea is like it would make Frodo feel safer if like he knew that nothing could get to him without touching Sam but they've both fallen asleep and Gollum comes up and just puts his hand on Frodo's knee and the narrative describes like if 
someone had looked at him then, they wouldn't have seen this this golem creature. They would have essentially seen what looks like a very, very old, lonely hobbit who is just very sad. Yeah. But at that moment, Sam wakes up and all he sees is Gollum, you know, groping at Frodo. And he's like, get off, you whatever you are. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what have you been doing sneaking around, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Gollum is like very offended by this. And he keeps throwing the word sneak back at Sam. Like, he's just very clearly upset. Um, Probably because Sam caught him in a moment of vulnerability and then... Yeah, responded very harshly. It's sad. But when Frodo's gotten up, he's like, so I guess technically, like, Gollum, do we need you from here? Can we just go? Like, or, because, like, you can be done. You can run off and be free. And Gollum's like, nope, 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 no. You definitely need me. Mm-hmm. Yup. <laughs> so he leads them into these tunnels, and it's, like, very hard to see in there. Frodo and Sam end up walking hand in hand in order to, like, stay connected. And eventually they get to uh, sort of crossroads of tunnels and realize they have no idea where Gollum is and no idea where to go. I just want to say this is we're not going to talk about this at all, but I do want it on the record. At this point, Sam references Tom Bombadil. So that does come back. It is relevant. That's all. That's, there's nothing he more He literally to it than was that. just like, yeah. I wish Tom Bombadil was there. Yeah. Because he's thinking about the Barrows. Yeah. And I wish sense. he was there too. So. <laughs> Anywho. Uh, at this point, Sam was like, oh, hey, you know what we should maybe do? Use the like starlight thing Gladriel gave you so we can see. And Frodo's like, smart. So, lights up the Star of Elendi. I'm sure I said that wrong. It's Erendil. I give you the light of Erendil. I was I was just going to pretend you didn't say it, but uh, that's fine. I, You know, you should always, always correct me on pronunciation because I will fully mangle it. Well, I'm not sure if I pronounced it correctly. Erendil. But it, I think you mix it up with Elendil. Elendil. Which Probably. is uh, the old king of Gondor. I mean, I called Aragorn Aragon for like most of my childhood. <laughs> Sometimes when I read things as a kid, like, well, even when I read things now, like, I will just not get names right. They're just, like, pronunciation of fantasy names is hard for me. As I think it is for many people. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no sooner have they, like, lit this thing up when who should attack but giant spider lady. <laughs> <laughs> Shelob. Yep. And, uh... We get a little bit about her here. Yeah. How she's this ancient evil. She's not like power hungry. She just wants to eat, which hashtag relatable. <laughs> Your bait. Uh, that. Okay. <laughs> what What was that trend? Hot girl summer or whatever. The last year. <laughs> Dressing up as Shelob and being like, these are goals right here. <laughs> I think there's an inclination to just be like, oh, Shelob, she's a giant spider. But the way the narrative describes her is much more than that. She is something more primordial. There's something mm. about her that's spiritual. And in fact, we learn later that Gollum actually worships her. Something about her presence breeds literal darkness. That, uh, and, and so there's something much more supernatural about her. 
than the fact that she is a big old spider. Oh, very much so. She is like like an incarnated piece of evil. We'll um, talk just about a different Beowulf kind in of regards evil. to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. There's a lot that could be said about Shelob and Grendel's mother. Anywho, she attacks. <laughs> and at first, the hobbits just freak the fuck out, understandably, and run like mad. But then Frodo's like, no, we have to face her. And and holding the starlight high, he just turns back around with his sword in the starlight and just, like, walks right up to her and basically, like, forces her to run away because of the light. It's very impressive. Yeah. It's very badass. We stand one Bamf Hobbit. Even, yeah, Sam's like, whew, that was great. You did such a great job. You were so hot. And so they make their way out. And Frodo gives uh, the starlight to Sam to hold while he cuts through the webs with Sting. They can see the, like, passage they need to take to, like, get over into Mordor. They can see it. And Sam's like, come on, let's run. We're so close. And so he takes off. And Sam's lagging a little ways behind him. And uh, I should mention that there they noticed earlier that there is a watchtower uh, positioned there. Sam's a little worried about attracting the attention of the watchtower, so he's like, oh, I should put this bright light away. But unfortunately for him, he didn't realize, like, Shelob can get out multiple ways. And so as soon as he puts that light away, Shelob's like, ha 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 ha. Get in my belly! And uh, attacks Frodo. And Sam's going to help when he is attacked from behind by Gollum, who, of course, has betrayed them. He manages to fight Gollum off, but by the time Gollum's run off, it is too late for Frodo, who has been attacked by the spider. He's being he wrapped up. Did he did? Sam goes into a mad frenzy and attacks Shelob, and he wouldn't like actually be able to do anything to hurt her, except that like she basically raises herself up to like yeah. smoosh him, <laughs> and he holds the sword up, and she does that to herself. She's hurt pretty bad. So he manages to convince her to run off and go lick her wounds somewhere. <laughs> Metaphorically lick her wounds. Uh, she is somewhat spider-shaped, so I don't think she can actually do that. I like describing that as convincing her. Uh, the the manner of convincing is is like it involves stabbing an eye, stabbing her in the stomach, and then shining this light at her that it's so bright. And for her, it's so painful. There, There's a great description how... I think Tolkien describes it as a dreaded infection of light. And it just seems to like spread within her and just boil her alive. And so she runs away. It's a pretty persuasive argument, I would say. <laughs> uh, I meant convinced in the like sense of like forcibly convinced. But... Oh, sure. And then he goes to Frodo and he's like, Frodo's dead. He's very depressed. He's like, what should I do? I don't know what to do. Eventually he decides that like the best thing he can do is complete the quest. And then essentially, like, come back and die next to Frodo's body. Like, he just leaves Frodo's body there. And he's like, I'm going to come back to you. Like, there, nothing would happen with the body. That part I don't understand. But he takes the ring. But he heads off to do that. And he just feels really bad about it. Like, he's got a bad gut feeling. And then he's, like, almost out of sight from Frodo's body when he hears people coming. So he puts on the ring. Because he needs to be invisible. <laughs> yeah. And turns out it was orcs coming. They, like, patrol up here because it is an entrance to Mordor, you know? They find Frodo's body as well and decide to carry it off. And Sam is like, screw the quest. I'm not letting anyone <laughs> Frodo's body. So he runs off after them. And eventually, through these two orcs bickering conversation, 
uh, it is revealed that Frodo is in fact not dead. Shield's poison just like puts someone in a death-like state, essentially, and that he's probably going to wake up in a couple of hours. And once Sam realizes this, he's like, oh my god, I'm such an idiot. No wonder, like, I didn't feel like I could leave. It's because I wasn't supposed to because Frodo wasn't dead. Mm. So he goes chasing to try and catch up with them, but his realization has come too late. They are entering into a fortress, and he's trying to catch up, but the door slams shut just as he gets there. The book ends with Frodo in the hands of the enemy. My god. Indeed. Given all of our uh, asides, this might be the first episode where we literally end the episode with the <laughs> summary. Apologies for that, I guess. <laughs> Stick around next time, I guess. <laughs> I think there were some nice things in there. Oh, no, no. Great information all around. We only provide great information. So. Oh, of course. Of, of course. course. Well, you came for the summary, so... Stick around for the discussion next week on Reread. See you then. Say